So guys, uh, we're back here for another week of the Base Training Podcast. Um, this is the second half of the conversation I had with Alex Butt from Stoic Conditioning. And we were talking specifically about the tactical athlete um, and covering more specifically the UK Special Forces selection cycles. Uh, again, we're going to continue to talk about this a little bit more in depth as we talk about the, the mental and psychological side of the selection process and we also get to hear a little bit about how uh, Alex himself came to the realisation that longevity is such a big factor and that psychology is such a huge factor in the in successful um, applicants on these processes and how the physical training programmes that they utilise help to develop those. So as always if you want to find out more about base training head to our website www.base.training and you can book a consult with any of us if you're looking to get fit um, and if you're looking for an individualized one-to-one approach. Um, so without further ado, let's get back into it. So the, the, the biggest um, question I've had asked to me personally as a coach from this perspective is how do you develop resiliency in someone um, to be able to... Because often what I've found from my own research is that these selection processes aren't necessarily who's fittest, it isn't always who's um, the strongest mindset, there is a balance between it all, it's the person is the most resilient, um, they can eat a dodgy bit of food and still tab or ruck, or whatever you want to call it, 25k with 35 kilos on their back, um, yeah. and then do that the next day, and the next day with very little sleep and so on and so on, so how do you go about developing that, and is that something you consider? It is, and it's something that is hard and yet easy to develop at the same time. And the the random explanation or the tough explanation of that would be going back to the, the first point that we made, whereas if you're starting from a good position mindset, then everything else, you know, after that is a lot easier to cultivate. If you have a bad mindset or if you have a... I want to say, I don't want to say negative mindset, but if you have like a fixed mindset about your progression and your training and things like that, then everything else after that is going to be a lot harder. Like getting you in for a training session is going to be like an application of will getting you through, (laughs) getting you through, um, some conditioning programs that are particularly nasty because they're all based in anaerobic threshold and maintaining anaerobic threshold is going to be a lot harder because your mindset is is slightly different. So cultivating resiliency and improving resiliency comes back to first, you've got to have the right mindset and you don't have to have it perfect. We're not, you know, I'm a big one for uh, perfection is a fallacy. Like we're, you can't chase perfection. Perfection is something that, uh, perfection is actually a fixed mindset concept. So we're not looking for you to be perfect. We're looking for you to actually acknowledge the fact that you're not perfect and acknowledge the fact that we all need to improve and acknowledge the fact that every day you can make improvements if you choose to. So that's your first one is like mindset's a big one. And then just knowing that through physically improving yourself, you are going to be improving your resiliency, like the knock on effect of being stronger 
um, like more bone density, ligaments are stronger, tendons are stronger, like resiliency in that aspect is stronger. And then if we're improving your energy systems, your energy systems and your metabolism, how well you can produce energy and manufacture energy from food and different foods. If we're working on that in the gym and that's improving, then psychologically your resiliency and your knowledge of yourself is going up. And then, you know, like there's a, a lot of things with supplements, you know, you could talk about probiotics, you could talk about gut health. Um, if you're, uh, if your immune system and everything like that is being improved because of conditioning training, strength training, and a good mindset, because mindset is actually linked to our gut microbiome as well, which is mind bending, <laughs> um, especially when you read some of the research, you're like, how did they even test for that? What the fuck? Um, but if all of these other ducks are in a row, you'll find that you'll naturally be more resilient and then everything comes back to choice and will. So if you, if you, um, have a higher energy system, if you have a higher conditioning capacity and you're stronger, then when you come to that 25 kilometer tab with 30 kilograms on your back, it's going to be significantly less arduous than someone who isn't strong and who isn't conditioned. That person is going to have to use a lot more of their willpower and a lot more of their mental capacity getting through that test than you are. You're still going to have to use a lot of your mindset and your willpower, but you're not going to be thinking about Jesus Christ, I feel like I'm going to shit my kidney out as I'm running up this hill. You know, you're not going to be thinking about that. You're going to be thinking, well, I did something harder than this in training. So I know that I can get through this. It's just going to require me to keep going and you will be able to keep going. And I think one of the best, um, one of the best descriptions that I heard that I, that I love and I, I really um, think about quite a lot is try not to be a racehorse, try and be a workhorse. You know, not particularly looking for the, the best, fastest, shiniest looking stallion, but they're looking for the person that can just keep going regardless of weather conditions, regardless of how much weight you put on them, regardless of whatever, you know, injury or like little niggle they may have, they'll be able to just keep trudging away. And that's, I think that really embodies the, the mindset and uh, the kind of characteristics of someone going through selection is a workhorse, not a racehorse. Yeah, I've um, yeah, I've also heard of one like being a freight train. Like be just yeah, instead of being like a racing snake, be the freight train, just keep moving. Um, yeah, I did have a question, but I completely forgot what it was. Um, so let's move on. <laughs> um, one of the things that's interested me is obviously the the selection process. Um, and how, how do you go about picking someone for that process? Because obviously it is six weeks, six months, sorry, or the special forces selection is six months long. The Marines training is 32 weeks, I think it is. Powers is like 28 weeks. Like how do you go about peaking someone for that? Um, yeah, like do you peak someone for it? I think you just hit the nail on the head there. Um, you can't peak someone for something that's six months long. It's impossible. Like when we're talking about peaking, when we're talking about bringing someone in, you know, you're looking for a, you, that's for an event, that's for a, a competition, that's for a single. You know, if you're peaking someone to be an Olympic lifter, that is six lifts each, half a second each. That's three seconds worth of competition you're peaking someone for. 
you know, I used to compete as a, a strongman in Europe. Um, so I would kind of peak myself for those events in terms of I would look at the events and the breakdown of the events and then I would work back from that and I would work on those events in my training leading up to that so that would be how I would peak for that you know I've trained for triathlons and done um, trained ultra marathon runners as well where it's like that's a one day two day event but you're only doing one thing in that so you can kind of peak someone from a point where you want to bring them into it with the highest amount of energy, the least amount of injuries and the most amount of kind of conditioning going into that event. When you're looking at something that's six months long, you can't peak someone for that. So it's about bringing them right up to it. And then what I do is I taper a week uh, to seven to 10 days out from it, more from a mental capacity point of view, where it's like, you've done the hard work, you're not going to get any fitter or stronger in the next 10 days, but let's work on squaring everything else away. So you are mentally prepared and that you're leaving nothing to chance. Let's work on that. Um, I think that's, that's really like the, um, the kind of peaking or deloading that we do at the end of our programming leading into, uh, the selection process. It's like, you know, you've done the hard work <laughs> and really like even the, our, uh, UKSF program is six months long. like an Olympic athlete, you know, the Olympics come around every four years, but those people have been training for eight years prior to that anyway. Um, Same thing with a potential UKSF guy going through selection. They haven't just been training for it for six months. They've been training for it there, you know, like six years probably. Um, So it's about making sure that they are going to be put front and center and be able to display the best qualities that they've been training for rather than getting to day one and being like, shit, I didn't train swimming or, you know, shit, I've turned up on day one with a knee injury um, because last week I decided to max out my back squat and things like that. And it's like, you know, like giving them the necessary tools to be like, you've done the hard work, your body is in a, in a physically as you said, like really the physical requirements of selection aren't as high as people are led to believe and aren't as high as people will build up in their own minds. You know, a lot of the people that we've interviewed after selection have been like, as you said, like it wasn't physically as hard um, as we thought it was going to be, but mentally it was twice as hard. So it's about getting to that point and being like, all right, you've got this now just go and go and show like what you've been training for in this six month window. <laughs> so your more approach, I suppose to sum that up um, about ensuring that there's a, their level of general preparation is higher than the actual test. So they yeah. go into it and maybe that might be the reason why they've come out and gone, actually that weren't as physically hard as I thought it would exactly. be. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, um, the needs analysis really comes back to making sure that people have actually gone through brutal tests in their training, where it's like some people might not have thought about um, going for a seven hour hike. <laughs> but if you've done that because you've done that in training, you know mentally, you know physically how your body's going to react to that. You know afterwards how your feet are going to be you know afterwards how long it's going to be before you feel ready to walk again after you know doing that if you've only ever walked for like an hour or an hour and a half on a treadmill or you know on pavement or something like that then it's a completely different ball game it's a completely different uh kettle of fish so 
really making sure that, uh, you know, it's the old uh, saying, um, train hard, fight easy. So if your training is higher or your training requirements, like where you are from training is statistically higher than, uh, than the actual test that you're going to be doing, you know physically or you know mentally that you'll be able to get through that. It's just a, a question of then getting to it and just being like, I've done this before, I can do it again, it's fine. But uh, unfortunately, we can't, well, we could, but it, no one would do it. We couldn't recreate um, like the hill selection process in our training. People just wouldn't do it. Um, it's just it's fucking brutal. But if you know that you can run 20 kilometers with a backpack on, then pretty much all the other stuff outside of that, you know that you're going to be able to do physically. You're just going to have to pace it a little bit differently. You're going to have to be aware of, you know, your nav skills. You're going to be have to be aware of like how your body's going to react to the extra four hours, the extra five hours worth of movement, the food requirements, the energy costs, like how your gut's going to be like <laughs> all, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to hear you, you talk about it in that way. Um, do you advise people that you mentioned about like going out for a seven-hour test? Do you advise people to go, okay, you're going to do this test. Let's try and do it on a rainy day. Um, let's try and make it an uneven surface and make it as tough as possible, as you say, those can't or won't um, type of tests. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's if you've never walked around for two hours in burning heat, then if you're going on a summer-based course, then uh, when you start walking around in heat and you start getting chafage and you start sweating out a lot more salt um, and your body starts to become hypernatremia, like that's that's stuff that if you've not experienced that in training, you might be like, fuck, I'm dying. <laughs> and, uh, and then that will mentally crush you on day, like day two, right? Um, but if you've been out and uh, we always say to people going through the, our, the selection program and who are going on to, to do it, it's like go out to the hills and walk in the hills and actually get you know, a view of the hills because specific, a lot of things come back to specificity, right? So if you are in the place where you're going to be doing the testing, walking up and down the hills that you're going to be doing the testing on, or you're going to be tested on when you come to do it in the testing, it's no longer this big, like unforeseen, um, oppressive and arduous task. You've already been there. You've already seen it. You know the incline. You know how hard it's going to be. All you have to do is be like, all right, let's fucking get through it. Do you think there's a, pl a place for like too much information or like the ignorance is bliss type thing? <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't think so. I think the more you know, uh, the better informed you can be, like the more informed choices and the more choices you can then make. Uh, yes, certain tasks where it's just like, I don't want to know, just get me through it. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, there's definitely a time and place for, for things like that. But I personally would want to know as much as I could about what I'm about to do um, in, a, in every scenario. You know, you're not always going to get all of the information, but if you can know as much as you, as you can about something, it, you're going to be put in a better position to make better choices. Yeah, so it comes down to the, the, 
personality type of that person of, of the person undergoing the test, isn't it? And I know like well, myself be adaptable, right? Sorry? Always always be adaptable. Like yeah. um, what's the saying? Like uh, a plan is only good until first contact. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, how how do you train adaptability? Do you is that something that you consider? Uh, not within the realms of what we can deliver online. That would be a lot of psychology coaching and things like that, but also just personality. Like if you are a person that can overcome things in a day-to-day life, you know, like you walk outside, well, I I live in Toronto at the moment. So sometimes we have some uh, pretty bad weather conditions here, like four foot of snow in half an hour. Um, and then it like will flash freeze the entire thing. So the city becomes an ice skating rink. Um, but you know, if you're, if you're walking through that and, uh, you know, you slip over and bust something like your ability to, to adapt to a situation, adapt to adverse weather conditions, adapt to something that you didn't foresee happening, you know, getting a letter from, uh, or getting a bill through and being like, getting it and letting it crush you mentally or being like, huh, okay, well, I'll adapt. Like it, you know, I think adaptability comes back to what you're talking about, cultivating mindset and how do you do that? Like adaptability is something that you need to cultivate every day. And it's really, that comes back to the choices that you make as well and your ability to then work out problems and think through problems and find a solution to that problem. Because really adaptability comes back to how can you solve a problem? Yeah, it, like you say, it just it keeps coming back to mindset. That seems to be one of the biggest takeaways um, for those yeah. that are listening that listening that might be considering this career path, or that might be in a um, maybe a firefighter's role or medic's role um, or policeman's role, whatever that might be. How did like how long has it taken you to come to this realization that mindset is such a big um, component that longevity is from a, the from, I suppose the psychological aspect, mindset is the biggest thing. And then from the physical aspect, um, longevity, if correct me if I'm wrong, is the biggest key to success in this part, these, these roles and these selection processes. I think I had a, I personally had a rude awakening to uh, mindset and longevity when I was quite young. So when I was 20 years old, I broke my spine um, in quite a few different places and a uh, pretty bad injury and like elected to not have surgery because I figured that I could feel all of the pain in my feet. Therefore, like I could recover from it. That was my mindset at the time. And I also have trust issues when it comes to people cutting into me. So <laughs> I was like, nah, fuck that. Right, I'll do so. this myself. Um, but really like that, that came back to mindset and that came back to, am I going to let this, um, am I going to adapt to this? Am I going to overcome this or am I going to let this one crush me? Am I going to let this like the ability that I can't walk, the ability that I can't get up and go to the bathroom, the ability that, you know, stuff like that. Is it, is that going to be what I focus on or am I going to focus on what today I'm going to get up, I'm going to move a little bit longer or move for a little bit longer than I did yesterday. And then the next day I'm going to get up and I'm going to try and do a little bit of movements and try and make it pain free or, and then I'm also going to focus on getting as high quality nutrition in as I can afford at the time being a student, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and all, all different things like that. So I think for me personally, like 
I found out very quickly in that perspective that mindset was key and like your outlook of something was key. Um, and then, you know, from there reading a lot about um, the psychology of injuries and then I found, um, I was introduced to the mindset book um, or a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, which I recommend everyone going through um, selection should read it as well. It's a bit of a hard read, so maybe get it on uh, Audible and listen to it. Um, but the teaching points in there, especially early on, are invaluable, invaluable for people going through, you know, something that they might uh, have otherwise viewed, viewed as quite Im impossible or very, very hard, very, very difficult, very taxing. I think that book would really, really help out a lot of people. Uh, it certainly did me overcoming some uh, certain things, but my mentality on uh, after my injury was so I was quite a high performing athlete going into that injury and then coming out the other side I didn't want to lose that I very much was of the case of after this injury I'm going to be a better athlete and I just worked back from what I wanted to do so after my <laughs> I had a spinal injury um, on like quite a few levels in my spine and uh, the sport that I chose, because I'm a stubborn dickhead, is uh, was strongman. <laughs> I was like, what's the hardest sport that I could probably do on my spine? I'm going to go and be a high performer in that. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I competed in that for a couple of years all over Europe. And uh, But it was, it was very much a step-by-step -step process of working back from that, of being like, I need to reach these levels of being able to deadlift this much, squat this much, run with this much weight, lift these stones, pull these trucks, and I can't walk. And, you know, it was just a process going from one to the other and being like, I don't need to be there tomorrow. I just need to get there. So, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> that, was, that was probably my, my rude awakening to... Uh, all, I say rude, it actually set me on the path that I am now, so I can't... I, I look back on my injury with fondness now because I've been able to accept it as a as a um, a thing that happened. Um, but yeah, it's uh, definitely working through that was a, a big eye opener to how powerful your day to day mindset can be and how how powerful your outlook of something can be as well. Yeah, I spoke about. Um, I spoke to a friend of mine about. Uh, basically, I was I got into watching these uh, like survival videos on YouTube. YouTube, for some reason, they came up, and it was just basically stories about how people have got into these really extreme situations. Like they've been sailing across the Atlantic, the boat sunk, and they've been stranded at sea with a life vest and a and a calypso <laughs> and, and a spoon. Like and they've somehow managed to fashion a craft a, a, a craft out of a, a dead jellyfish and a and a giraffe skeleton that they found. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I said they're extreme circumstances. But one of the things that a lot of these survivors kept saying was when, they, when it got to the point where they were literally like potentially minutes slash hours away from dying was just do something. And that was, that was a saying that every single one, or nearly every single one of them said, was just do something. Um, yeah. And it's interesting to try and put that into my own thinking is that when I'm, when I'm a bit feeling a bit shit, or maybe I'm in a workout and it's not going right, is like, okay. Let's let's just do something. What is the next something? Okay, it's it's to put left foot in front of the uh, the right so I can take another step on the run that I'm on, um, or nice. pick up the bar. Just do something just to move your position from where 
where it was, which is potentially precarious, to slightly further away from that, and that 1% further away, just to stave off death for as long as possible. Um, yeah. So it's quite interesting that you've, you've kind of experienced that, maybe not to that level of that extreme level, but um, in your own way. And one of the things, we, one of the points we kind of skipped over as well, and we didn't talk about, um, was sleep. Um, yeah. and I know you guys are massive proponents of high quality sleep. What's your um, approach to that? And I suppose why why have you come to that belief? Uh, sleep is the biggest performance enhancing tool that people aren't using, in our opinion, um, or aren't prioritizing. Everyone wants to know the best supplement to take to enhance performance, which is creatine, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, everyone wants to know, like, what's the best workout I can do that's going to give me the most amount of benefits? And it's like, the answer to that is there is no single workout. It's, it's years of working out strung together. But when it comes to sleep, fucking just work on your sleep. Like, I, I mean... How much time have you got? I know it's dark there. <laughs> like, <laughs> sleep's a, crack on. Sleep's a topic unto itself. Mm. Um, everything is affected by sleep. Uh, I mean, just picking one out of the, off the top of my head, one of the biggest things that sleep or uh, decrease in sleep does is it increases your perception of effort. It increases your perception of hardship. So for guys going through hard training or hard selection, if your sleep is shit going into it and yes obviously there's you know we can we can discuss the aspect of the fact that a lot of the time you may not actually have the ability to get good sleep when you're going through selection processes but it's cumulative like if you've been sleeping badly for six months leading up to that selection and then you sleep poorly throughout it because you kind of have to because you're being run ragged all hours of the day then you know it's just a downward downward spiral but if your sleep is exceptional or you're constantly working on your sleep all the way up into it then the benefits are going to be massive after that as well but so just in that uh, sleep deprivation causes a massive increase in perception of hardship and perception of like how hard something is like that should be number one it's like well fuck i'm definitely going to get sleep um then it also decreases muscular contraction ability so your ability to be strong is decreased your aerobic capacity is decreased your ability to transfer or like make atp from energy coming in is decreased your ghrelin levels are increased which is your hunger hormone so you're you're constantly hungry when you're sleep deprived your um leucine levels uh are decreased like fuck it dude <laughs> sleep uh, sleep hygiene is one that we really really uh tout and we have a, a a pretty definitive sleep article on it and we're actually so we have a, a basics of sleep article and then we're writing an advanced sleep article as well like how to really and i hate using this word because it's such a buzzword but also it's people will know what i say when i say it but hack your sleep and improve your sleep that way uh, we're not we're not looking to hack your sleep there's no way to sleep less and get more benefits that's a lie you have to be sleeping long so um yeah, in terms of how to improve your sleep, sleep hygiene is a really big thing. So I always say keep your keep your bedroom like the Batcave. So keep it real cool. 
temperature-wise. Hey, man, everyone's going to remember Great this joke. <laughs> Dad joke, that is. Dad joke. <laughs> so keep it real cool. So around 18 degrees or less. Like, I'm, I run pretty warm, so I keep my room a little bit cooler. Um, if you live in a hot condition or if you're in... England when it's like 35 degrees outside and we don't have access to AC or anything like that, then have a cold shower before you go to bed because your body temperature actually has to drop for you to sleep, for you to drop into a sleep cycle. If your body temperature doesn't drop, it, if it doesn't have a little dip just before you sleep, those are the nights that you're just sat there like kind of half asleep but also half awake, half knowing like what's going on around you but then half slipping into delirium that kind of thing and those are not good nights so that's one of the first things is make sure that your room is cool or cold um pitch black or as pitch black as possible so our pineal gland in our in our in our brain detects or detects light coming in in a very simplistic term so even through our eyelids as well so even when your eyelids are closed and you have uh, curtains that let in quite a lot of light as soon as the sun comes up your brain just starts to kick up a gear now if you live in a city and you've got a lot of street lights outside and that light is beaming in through your window and hitting your retina even through closed eyelids that's going to disrupt your sleep as well so in my opinion get a blackout curtain you can pick them up from ikea or john lewis or something like that really really cheap and they will improve the quality of your sleep massively so make your room as pitch black as possible and if you can't do that if you live with people or if you live in a in an area that's very very bright or anything like that just buy an eye mask okay so everyone will have an excuse for it but there's really no excuse <laughs> like there's a lot of stuff that we can do out there buy an eye mask get blackout curtains um get a tent that you put over your bed think constructively solve the problem man <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't want um, problems we want solutions <laughs> exactly exactly so make it cool make it dark um noise is another thing as well make it quiet or i sleep because i sleep in a city i sleep with a fan on so that kind of solves point a and point c for me so it keeps me pretty cool but also gives me white noise that allows me to drown out the sounds of cities um but you know in the cases where i've slept in cities and i don't have a fan just use earplugs so it will just muffle things out um and then sleep hygiene comes back to uh, what you're doing in the last hour of your day as well. So your routine, your sleep routine. Are you playing video games right up until you go to bed? You know, if you give yourself a bedtime and actually giving yourself a bedtime and a wake time as an adult is uh, one of the smartest things you can do and sticking to that even at weekends. So if you say like my bedtime is 10.30 and I wake up at 6.30, that gives me eight hours there. So what are you doing in that last hour between 9.30 and 10.30? If you're playing video games for that last hour and you turn it off at 10.29 and you go downstairs or upstairs, I, I live in a weird house in Toronto, my bedroom's downstairs. Um, but if you go to your bedroom a minute after playing Call of Duty, do you think your brain's gonna be pretty relaxed? Fuck no, you're gonna be wired and then you're gonna lie there for an hour and, and be like oh i can't sleep i've got so much on my mind it's like yeah because like two minutes ago you were shooting some fucking crazy characters on uh, call of duty right um <laughs> so i think uh and caffeine's another big one as well um 
a lot of people will drink coffee and that's great coffee is fantastic we have an article on caffeine caffeine is good we're not saying anything bad about it however if you drink coffee at 4 p.m 5 p.m or if you drink coffee after dinner which makes you an idiot but (laughs) the more you know right um Caffeine, caffeine has a half-life of like four to six hours, depending on how quickly you metabolize it. And uh, half-life is just a fa- fancy way of saying like, how long does it take for the concentration of something to decrease by half? So it's not that it's gone after six hours, it's just half as potent as when you drunk it, okay? So if you're drinking a cup of coffee at 6 p.m. or 5 p.m., there is still half the amount of caffeine, which is quite a high amount for the majority of coffee, like a cup of coffee. There is still half the amount sitting around in your system, fucking up your neurotransmitters and your adenosine receptors in your brain at 12 p.m. at night. So again, a lot of people are like, oh, I can't sleep really well. And it's like, well, it's because you're playing video games late at night and you had your last coffee at 7 p.m. So, or you're having tea or, you know, other caffeine, like stimulating things quite late at night if you have pre-workout you go to the gym like after work and you have a pre-workout because you're really tired you know that's that shit's gonna stick in your system and that's actually caffeine anhydrous as well that's powdered caffeine like usually 400 milligrams because that's enough to give you a buzz for most pre-workouts and then most guys read the label and it's like do not use two scoops and they put three scoops in because everyone's a hard man and it's like sweet so now you have like 1.2 milligrams of caffeine floating around in your system at like 6 p.m at night and it's going to take two days for that to get out of your system (laughs) and then people are wondering why they can't sleep and then they wake up the next day and they're like shit i'm really tired and they bash caffeine all day through coffee and then they have another pre-workout because they can't they don't feel stimulated enough to do their workout so you know Again, you've opened up a whole fucking <laughs> rabbit hole. That's it. So the, one of the biggest things that we say to people is like really try and prioritize your sleep and prioritize it from the viewpoint of everything else you do throughout the day should be geared towards the best quality sleep as you can simply because it makes everything else easier. It makes your training easier. It makes your performance easier. It makes dieting easier. It makes your nutrition, like your actual ability to use um, the nutrients that you're getting from your nutrition. It makes that easier on your body. Not to mention like the long-term health effects of, you know, statistically people that sleep less than X amount of hours per day are X amount times more likely to get cancer to get alzheimer's to get neurodegenerative diseases to get cardiorespiratory diseases it's like just fucking sleep better <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds quite simple doesn't it? <laughs> it it does and it's like you know as a as a coach that's been through you know i've trained people for all sorts of things like high performance uh, sporting stuff like olympic level sporting stuff all the way through to uh, people stepping on stage, bodybuilders, physique models, stuff like that, male and female, and then people just like the average person just looking for like a cover model, body shoot, that kind of stuff. And it really comes down to me explaining to them how beneficial sleep is and then not believing that it can be that easy. You know, people almost being like, what do you mean? Like, if I uh, just sleep better, then everything's going to be easier. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, can you put it in a powder form? <laughs> can i can i drink that and it's like no you just need to work on it and it's it's 
almost so simple and almost so easy that people don't do it and people overlook it. They're just like, oh, I'll work on it tomorrow or, oh, I got seven hours this night, it'll be fine. It's like, yeah, but you've been saying that for a year. You've not yet got a good quality eight hours sleep. How about you just work on that and everything else Everything else will just fall into place. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to see it's hard to see the benefits of or the short term benefits of an extra hour or eight hours of sleep as opposed to seven hours of sleep over the course of a month. It's really hard to see those benefits, and you can't attribute you can't directly attribute a decrease in body fat to one specific yeah. thing. It is that combination of all of them. Um, but how do how do you manage that? On again, we, we kind of drifted off towards. Um, just everyday clients. How do you manage that with this population of like special forces and like tier one, tier two on selection and post-selection? Mm-hmm. So sleep and performance on selection is a big one because, and that's where a lot of uh, what this advanced article is going to be about in terms of like when I can't get good sleep because I am you know, either working a shift pattern if I'm having to work nights for my job or if I'm, uh, you know... Stagging on. Be- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two on, four off. <laughs> or if I'm, uh, if I'm having to wake up early in the morning to, you know, if I'm on a selection process and it's training early in the morning and then sleep almost like a sleep deprivation um, uh, scenario then what's the best thing that I can do? And it's still prioritize as much sleep as you can and make the sleep that you do get as high quality as you can. So going back to, you know, your your room's got to be as dark, as cold, as, you know, free of noise, as free of electronics as you can possibly make it. You know, if you've used um, caffeine, if you've used things like that, throughout the day in the morning try not to use it late at night because it's still going to disrupt your sleep and have a knock-on effect negative effect on your performance the next day so it's kind of the same advice even though the scenario has changed even though that person may not be able to get eight hours of sleep they may not be able to get like as high quality sleep as as we would like them to get but it's not forever like the your human body is pretty resilient um and again like training a couple of guys or when I lived in London I used to train a lot of uh, like Liverpool Street bankers and stuff like that those were guys who had slept for like three hours a night for years and they were still high functioning they were still they were still able to keep going when we put them under a spotlight and looked at their their actual health it was shocking really really shocking like guys who are in their mid-20s who are like pre-diabetic even though they are skinny fat and stuff like that it's like and that's all down to sleep deprivation so but just backtracking a little bit when you said uh it's hard to see the benefits when you are like working on improving your sleep on that extra half hour or hour of sleep i would actually argue it's the opposite so most people will be like uh you know sleeping six hours a night or five hours a night and be like oh well it's fine because I keep going and I'm, I'm okay. I'm still doing my job. I'm still able to get to the gym and I'm still able to train and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, the human body is a pretty robust piece of kit. I mean, we can we can throw this thing off buildings and it still keeps going, right? But it doesn't mean that you're performing optimally. And I find that when people commit to improving their sleep and when people are like, and sleep is a habit as well. So it's not just like, oh, I slept really well last night. And therefore, the next day, 
I'm going to be feeling great. And sometimes you do. Sometimes you're like, holy shit, I feel like I've, I've not slept that well in years since I was a baby. And even babies don't sleep that well. Um, but, you know, when you, when you do start getting a week, two weeks, three weeks of decent sleep and sleep improvement, it doesn't even need to be perfect. As I say, perfection is a, is a fallacy. Um, but if you're improving your sleep and then getting to the point where you are sleeping eight hours a night and it is the hours between, <laughs> it is between the hours of like 10, 10, 30, 11 and, you know, 5, 6, 30, 7, 30, you know, those hours like that that's when you do start to see a, a massive increase quite quickly because the, the the first thing that I always say or that I always see with athletes when they start improving their sleep is their ability to aerobically keep going. So they might be doing like an aerobic workout every week for like week on week out and it's kind of a similar workout and then all of a sudden their sleep starts to improve and the next week, they're like, well, fuck, I smashed that workout. And I didn't even, like, my heart rate was way lower throughout it. I didn't feel like I was sweating as much throughout it. I, did, I felt like I came off that piece of kit and I'm, like, able to get back on it. Whereas the week a week ago, I felt like I was dying and I was seeing stars and things like that. So I think sometimes when you're... I think sometimes people will be like, oh, I don't notice the benefits, but then they might not be performing um, consistent tasks enough to be like week in, week out, oh, well, I have improved on that massively. And the only thing that I've changed is I'm sleeping better. I think so much with um, physical training is often correlative, correlative, is that the word? As opposed to causative, isn't it? Because there's so many factors that play into um, someone's like aerobic capabilities, as you mentioned, improving. But yeah. like, like you said, to see a let's say a five hour over the course of a week improvement in sleep, um, yeah. do that consistently for two months. So then, well, if you're doing something or a task consistently, to notice that drastic of an improvement, you have to start yeah. considering. Okay, there might be a link here. Um, <laughs> so it's it's. I completely agree. Like sleep is is the thing that people aren't doing, um, is the supplement that people aren't taking, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and I know so from having been in the military, sleep is not prioritised <laughs> at all. Yeah. It's the, the, the ethos of when I was in, the sleep when you're dead. And yeah. a quote from like Matthew Walker's book is, ironically, the, the term sleep when you're dead is the less you sleep, the quicker you will die. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite ironic. Yeah. Um, so, One of the biggest things with uh, military, um, like uh, demographics and getting them to sleep more, is start to talk about how much it affects your sexual performance and testosterone. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if you uh, if you have sleep deprivation, your testosterone count goes way down, your androgen count goes way down, your estrogen levels come up. So it's like, so if you sleep less, you turn into a woman. <laughs> Yeah. it's just about framing it for the right for the right demographic right exactly, yeah um, and for some people like um for some really masculine males that might be a factor that is is fearful to them um yeah, it may be maybe um yeah. <laughs> the last thing i want to touch on is is supplements um you yeah. mentioned creatine earlier is there anything that you're um advising that people take as a supplement, like 
why creatine and is there anything else so creatines are the most widely researched and safest supplement out there it's it's the one that's massively peer-reviewed it's been researched for 40 50 years now um when i was at university i took part in a lot of research studies about you know, about creatine and different forms of it and stuff like that it just has an application to almost everything that we do um like it with our demographic as well so it'll improve your strength it will improve your endurance it will improve your sleep it will improve your reaction speed it will improve your um, your body's ability to withstand injuries it will improve like your tendon health your muscular health like it's it's a pretty impressive supplement um, one of the studies I took part in was a sleep deprivation study and reaction and uh, um, decision-making skills were tested throughout so I, I was kept awake for three days which sucked um, yeah, really sucked, and I wasn't really paid that much. I'd never do it again. They couldn't pay me enough money to do this test again. But um, and we were exercised every hour for ten minutes as well, which sucked. Um, but then we were put through a load of tests as well every five hours, um, and they were kind of reaction speed, uh, reasoning, mathematical skills, stuff like that. And the people that were basically, in a nutshell, the people that were taking creatine consistently improved and consistently um held their reaction speed held their reasoning held their like kind of judgment and stuff like that throughout the entire time that we were all sleep deprived so would you recommend someone um takes a supplement or creatine as a supplement uh on the selection processes so actually when you're going through selection when you're going through a lot of testing criteria it's hard to do that um, you can take creatine in pill form, which makes it a little bit easier. You don't have to take it through powder form. Um, but at the same time, it's like if it's going to be more hassle, then it's worth in terms of just taking it to a selection process. And then, you know, there's uh, phases of selection where you won't be like able to have supplements and stuff like that. So what do I do when when that happens? It's like is absolutely fine when you come off of it you're not going to crash you're not going to lose all of your performance enhancing it's not like you're on steroids and all of a sudden you're coming off a cycle and everything just crashes like that it is a supplement it is there to help supplement your intake of other things right so if you're constantly on five grams a day which is what we recommend because all the literature just points to just taking five grams a day every day for the rest of your life done um, that's that discussion over. You don't need to load it. You don't need to cycle it. It's not a steroid, as I said. You don't need to come off of it. It's not going to suppress anything. Like there are some people out there that still believe creatine's a like a anabolic agent, and I'm like, okay, well, read a read a science paper at some point. But again, it's like the, that informativeness. So being informed, creatine is incredibly well researched. It's incredibly safe. As long as you're not mass dosing it, and we're talking like 20, 30 grams of it a day, at that point, your gut health is probably going to, you're going to shit yourself, in which case you'll know that you probably shouldn't take that amount. Being <laughs> um, there. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone that's dabbled yeah. with that has been like, oh, well, hey, that five grams is making me better. So what happens if I take more? And then it's like, okay, bad stuff. More is always better, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so I think there's just like so many benefits to be had. It, it's almost questionable as to why someone wouldn't take it 
in the context of when they are able to take it. So, you know, if you're at home and you're training or if you're on camp and you're training and you're consistently able to take five grams a day, and it doesn't matter when you take it, um, you can take it first thing in the morning, last thing at night, you can take it post-training, pre-training, during training, you can put it on toast and have it with breakfast. Like it's it's a versatile supplement. Um, the one thing I would say is that a lot of studies point to the fact that if you have it with something that causes an insulin spike, which is anything, <laughs> um, so any food, any water, uh, sorry, any like um, sugary fluid. We used orange juice when we did a lot of the testing at, at university. So just take it in something that uh, is a, a palatable and B uh, causes a little bit of an insulin spike. It actually shuttles into your across cell membranes a lot quicker. So that would be the only thing that I'd say. Um, but it's, yeah, taking it, Creatine is uh, is good, <laughs> you can, um, but and when you come off of it, it's not going to be an issue. You're not going to lose a lot of performance enhancing effects from it. Are there any other uh, supplements that you'd recommend for someone? Well, I mean, when we get into supplements, everyone's like uh, hooked on the latest thing, hooked on someone's words of like, oh, what what pill can I take that's going to improve me by X amount? And the reality is. The best performance enhancing things that you can do is sleep better, be consistent with your nutrition, consistently train to a point where you know your, your training is from a consistency and longevity point of view, not a I'm going to smash myself every session point of view. And then after that, have a multivitamin, a good multivitamin, vitamin D3, omega-3s, potentially look at a probiotic, um, you know, and this is where people are like starting to write down like, oh, I need a multivitamin, a good multivitamin, and then a D3, and then an omega-3, and then and then magnesium, and then zinc, and then, oh, and now I need a probiotic. And it's like, okay, well, that's like seven to 10 pills a day. Now we're getting into the realms of like, let's prioritize. Let's prioritize what is going to give you the best effects. So yeah, there are, uh, there are a lot of supplements out there that you can recommend. Creatine is the most researched, the best one. Um, in terms of performance enhancing effect for our for our demographic. After that, square away your what we call the foundational three, which is a multivitamin, vitamin D3, and omega-3 fish oils. And then after that, if you want to dabble in other stuff, then uh, I'd say probably the one that doesn't get mentioned enough um, in any kind of, um, from any kind of performance perspective is magnesium. Um, I remember when I worked with uh, Charles Poliquin and then uh, another guy called James Lavelle, um, magnesium was the biggest one that they were like, everyone, everyone who trains, everyone that picks up a weight needs to take magnesium. It just is involved in so many reactions and enzymatic reactions in our body that to be suppressed in it. And when we weight train, we... Um, get rid of a lot of magnesium stores in our body and when we sweat we get rid of a lot of magnesium so when we are down in that it causes a lot of other knock-on effects and it's not to say that your performance is going to tank but again if we can you know take a x amount of elemental magnesium a day that's going to help that person and i won't i won't give numbers because it's dependent on the person's uh, body weight and also their reaction to magnesium as well but if we can give someone something that's going to enhance their performance in the gym where they can 
go a little bit faster every time they can do their conditioning. If they can lift a few more reps of X amount of weight, um, in that has a knock-on effect in the long term. Excellent. Um, what else? Caffeine is another one we talk about, and all of the um, all of the supplements that I am talking about, we do have articles on them on our website. So, you know, if anyone's interested in reading up a little bit more, just go to our website, uh, go to the philosophy section of the website, and uh, check out the articles that we've got there on like creatine, caffeine, supplements for strength, supplements for stamina, endurance, sup- like our foundational three supplements, stuff like that. So, it's all all the information is there, and uh, we're always happy to square away any questions as well if people message through and they're like this is me as an individual what do you recommend for this you know we're happy to help out yeah you guys are, are very big on the like q and a's on instagram um, i follow them quite avidly as well so um yeah head over to those for those that are listening head over and read those uh, articles uh, i've read them they are great loads of uh information and, and things that you can implement pretty quickly and straight away so um and some of the things i've done myself one of them being utilizing caffeine as a supplement. I'm not a massive caffeine drinker, um, mm. but I will tend to have like just half a cup of tea in the morning before I train. Will yeah. that will wake that wakes me up, gives me a little boost, like just gets me out of that kind of little bit of a sluggish feeling that you kind of have when you wake up, just trying to get yourself going. Um, yeah. And that was prompted by one of your articles. So um, yeah, head over there. I think that's probably cool. a good point to wrap up on actually. Um, after what, six pages of notes, I've um, <laughs> uh, gone through a lot. Um, so if you're listening and you want to find out more information about um, stoic conditioning and you forgot, you can either head back to the start or just head over to stoicconditioning.com. That's it. Yep, and you can find out more information there. And as always, um, if you want to find out more about base training, just head over to uh, base.training or www.base.training. <laughs> Get a bit of feedback there and there's loads of information on both uh, companies but thank you to alex for coming on i uh, really appreciate it and um we'll uh speak to you another time hopefully maybe another uh call yeah absolutely man thank you very much for having me and uh definitely there's potential for a lot of a lot more interesting chats as well awesome. <laughs> and rants rants are always good <laughs> yeah right he's out <laughs>